Welcome to Things That Will Help with Buffy Barfoot. This podcast explores what it's like to be human and how to find tools to feel clear, grounded, and happier. The weekly theme will be simple as well as rich and something you can apply to your real life. The human stories ahead do not negate the hard or the dark, but rather point to the lighthouses along the way. This is Buffy. Hey, everybody. So I am currently six weeks after a total ankle replacement, which is exciting. And I went to see my friend Toby the other day, who is a magician. He's a neuromuscular massage therapist. He's fantastic. Um, And I was lying on my stomach, and he was working on my right shin and ankle to create some movement and stabilization. And after a few minutes of working silently, Toby just kind of grunted softly. And I said, what? And he said this. He said, there's a big highway from your brain leading all over your body. And there was this town off this highway that your old ankle used to go to. And you understood it. You understood this town and all of its industry and limitations. And you knew everything about this town. And then he said, that town doesn't exist anymore. But you're still sending all your trucks there. And then there's this whole new town with all these wonderful things that exist, but you don't have the map to get there. And I understood him immediately. I'm so deeply patterned to experience pain in my right ankle that even with this new surgery and this new hardware and an entirely different setup for my ankle, it's still going to take some work, specifically in my brain, to accept the new possibilities. And so I sat on the table just kind of breathing with this new information because it felt really big. And because I love metaphor, I started to also immediately pour this into other ideas besides my ankle, like... What other towns are no longer there (laughs) that I'm sending trucks to? Neuroplasticity has always fascinated me, especially from the standpoint of healing my own body. Because I thought, gosh, I must have hundreds of ghost towns empty except for my own consciousness. And I asked Toby how I could stop going to the old town and begin my new understanding of of the town that's there now. And he he sighed (laughs) and he said, it's going to take some time. And right now you're afraid. And so I did like a mental scan of my body and I didn't feel afraid. I felt ready and almost impatient to get to the new town. But he explained that while I was eager, my ankle didn't feel safe yet. And to further explain this point to me, he lifted my lower leg off the table and, and I braced for pain. I felt myself do it where the old pain would have been. And then he instructed me to flop and kind of relax as much as I could. And I tried to do that, but recognized that I couldn't let go all the way. I didn't trust that my ankle was safe, even though it was. And then he went on to explain that if we can't change, that we cannot change 
if we don't feel safe. And my whole body like sank into that sentence. We can't change if we don't feel safe. And my ankle hasn't felt safe for so many years. And so I have to retrain it for this surgery to be the most successful that it can be. And so then my mind flooded with other ideas, like where else have I been stagnant in patterns of old thinking, relating to other people, parenting, teaching, and everything else? And are there ways that I haven't felt safe, but didn't even realize it? So therefore, I couldn't allow for change. So I knew what he was saying was really big for my ankle rehab and healing, but this felt just as big for generational healing and trauma and communication with my friends and family. Just wow. <laughs> wow, Toby, wow. Um, so I just want to like throw this out in curiosity and in conversation with all of you. How do we begin to feel safe instead of fearfully bracing ourselves for impact? And the answer is, which he talked about and he brought forward, is we get curious. I wonder what this next step on my foot is going to feel like. I'm so curious if I turn my ankle out more, what's going to happen? While we're in a state of deep inquiry, it's less likely that we're going to be bracing because we're not anticipating the sensation that we understand to be always there when we do that thing. If we're just curious, I wonder what the next step is going to feel like, then we're not anticipating pain. And so Toby was like, what if you remain in a state of wonder instead of knowing the answer? And then I thought, yep, that's how to uncover the map of this new town. And right now it feels like it's off road. And I need to build a road and build patterns and repetitive trust. And it's going to take a lot of practice. And I'm going to try and take steps, hundreds of steps, without assuming that those steps are going to be painful. It's so hard. And so we've circled ourselves back to wonder to the beginning of it all with nothing certain in the pocket. Interestingly, That may be how we build a highway with less fear to be certain of nothing. So that's how we start to eliminate that bracing is to not be certain of anything. Because certainty leads us only to those old towns that don't exist anymore. But wonder can create entirely new pathways and discoveries that not only bring us to the new towns, but also ensure us that Patterns to the old towns are not even an option anymore. So what could this mean for communication and relationships with other people, with older versions of ourselves that we've outgrown? The new town, old town idea, even though I've only been with it a week, is expanding me in in multiple directions at once. Because I want to know and understand so much more about our capacity to repattern ourselves and to feel whole once again. And then I've thought about grief and love and careers and parenting and our relationship with money even. And every single thing that we're all grappling with. What could this information about new towns do for us? 
And amazingly, it's just a perspective shift. It's ours for the taking. And so I've started to try to install this new town idea with every step, trying to stay curious with every step. And I wonder, um, <laughs> I wonder what's going to happen as I keep going. I wonder how it's going to feel now. I wonder how it's going to feel now. And I'm trying to like hang back a little bit. Um, I'm also starting to get back on my yoga mat a little bit slowly. And this is a, I found a really good place to do the new town because my body has such clear memories of what poses were painful and how to position my right ankle to avoid that pain. So here's what I found out with only like a week into this work. It's so freaking hard and it takes a hell of a lot of energy to corral this curiosity when I've been doing one way for so long. It takes so much concentration and presence of mind, but I'm not going to give up because I can see the pitfalls. I can see where people get stuck in pain loops and in memory loops and in relationship loops in their old towns. And I can see how the stuckness happens even when we already have the hardware and the new towns built that are waiting for us. Even when we have that, the stuckness tends to happen. Okay, so what we do need, it, besides will and determination, because we need that, we need the like pull ourselves up from the bootstraps kind of feeling, but we also need some help. We need other people to point. We need to be able to ask for help and someone to watch and to witness our cadence and our gait someone other than ourselves. We need Tobies and we need healers like that to offer maps and coordinates to our new towns. Because if we try to muscle it ourselves, then I think we end up submitting to the same patterns that we've always had, sending trucks to the same old towns. So I'm wondering, do you have trouble like me? Do you struggle with asking for help? Do you feel like you should do it, do it all? because you don't deserve help? Or is it because you think you're the only one that can do it correctly? Or maybe some of both. For me, it's some of both. Just something to chew on. The other thing that's helping with the emergence of this new town idea, besides asking for help, the other thing that's emerging is going slower. So I'm still walking with a pretty significant limp right now, which I know is temporary. But when somebody's behind me or I'm walking my kids into school, I find that I push myself to speed up and conceal my limp if I can to move more quickly to avoid the hassle of people stopping and saying, what happened? And when I do that, I immediately, when I, when I walk faster, I immediately go into old pain patterns in the old town ways. And I can hear Toby in my head. And then I slow way down and I try to get curious again with every step. And I can feel it working, the formation of new patterns, when I actually do it. So Coretta goes to this in incredible school. It's called Sunflower Farm. And it's an actual farm with animals and farm chores and like old tractors to play on. It's glorious. And I wish I could go to school there. <laughs> um 
but it's kind of like a winding path to get back to our little schoolroom, and you have to park and then walk them in, and it takes forever. You have to carry the backpack and the giant bag with the bedding for the afternoon nap, and it's just a process to get back there. And so I have to go slow because when I hurry right now, it really hurts. And so today, this morning, I was walking Coretta in, and she was skipping ahead, and I was trailing behind her with all of her stuff, trying to stay curious with my steps. And along our way, Coretta's teacher, Miss Mary, stopped us. And she knelt down in front of Coretta and greeted her. And then she said, you know, Coretta, it's a really wonderful thing to walk slow with your mama while she is learning to walk again with her new ankle. And then she said, one day she's going to get very old and you'll need to walk slowly next to her then too. So it's a good thing to practice. It's so nice to walk together. I smiled at Mary. She's one of my favorite teachers either of my kids have ever had. And we went on our way down the path and Coretta held my hand for a few diligent steps. And then she looked up at me and she said, can I run ahead, mama? And I said, of course. But I got a few steps with her practicing with me. And frankly, there's no one more in the moment than a three-year-old. So I'm the one, I'm the one that really needs practice with that. And so here I am, I'm one step at a time trying to stay deeply curious. One of the examples that Toby gave me was this. He said, if you have two friends in relationship, one of them is chronically late and the other friend is always on time and really respects that and wants that. And so resentment builds. And he said, the friend that is late all the time, in order to change the pattern of being late, that person has to feel safe to continue to be late. So the friend who wants it to change has to give permission for it to be okay either way. And in that emotionally safe environment, then the late friend can be soft enough and malleable enough to change the pattern. Mm. That's when curiosity can become king or queen, when we feel soft and safe, not when some, someone's behind us pushing. The winding path that leads back to Coretta's classroom is a small one-lane path, and so you kind of have to walk single file to walk comfortably on it. And I've noticed that when another parent is coming up behind me, I don't feel safe to be slow and curious about my steps. I feel pressure to walk fast. And then I go into my old patterns and old towns. And that's, of course, only in my head. I'm sure that there are kind adults who would just simply either slow down themselves or they politely step around me and be on their way. So in that case, my feeling of safety is up to me to be exactly where I am and to stay conscious with every step. So what if we were to live this way, to not get pulled around by the pressure of other steps behind us or in front of us, or some imaginary clock that's driving us to old towns, but what if we just took our time and rooted ourselves in the curiosity of each moment? It's so simple, but so helpful. One more story about patterning new towns and becoming more of yourself. So 
neither of my parents liked curry. And so I didn't taste it until I was 22 living in Chicago. When I moved away from Alabama and landed in the Chicago area, I found myself in like this food wonderland. I still believe that Chicago has the best food in the world. Sorry, Denver, but you don't compare. Um, My parents disliked curry for the very same reason. So before Benjamin and I were born, they both lived in Auburn while my dad was finishing up his degree. And they were having some friends over, and my mom found this recipe she wanted to try for curried shrimp puff pastries. And it made a lot. So there were like gobs of leftovers after the dinner party. And my parents loved these curry puffs, but eventually they both ate so many that they crossed the point of never returning. And they ate themselves sick of curry, and therefore we never got to experience its wonder. And the finality of this is is still baffling to me, that for the rest of their lives, neither one of them ever ate it again. Um, and of course, my mom's still with us, but she's she will never taste curry again. It took me a long time, I think, to detach from my parents' ideas of the world like this. And I will say, too, that their ideas of the world were and are wonderful. There was nothing wrong with them. But every child eventually moves to their own town. And they'll always have pieces and parts of their history. But the shift is necessary. It's a necessary evolution, no matter how good your childhood was. And mine was very good. And it took Chicago, really. It took leaving the Deep South... That was a significant scene for me, like sailing away from everything familiar, where it was cold and harsh, and it was also exhilarating and necessary. And the Chicago wind like carved through my system, and I began to form who I was alongside who they were. And it was not a shattering as much as it was a discernment, an examination of myself, and it's like I became kind of worldly overnight. I feel it, I fell in love with curry and I learned how to cook it from scratch and I learned to layer my clothes and what fabrics would keep me warm at the icy bus stop in the city. I learned and listened to different languages on the train and discovered that I'd been isolated and sheltered pretty pretty drastically, unknowingly. And I learned to hustle and pay rent and find my people in this vibrating city. And I was in a new town, literally, but I was also building my own new town internally. And so these patterns that we create and that we um, evolve into over, over time help us be- to become ever more ourselves. And that's, I think, what all of us are seeking is to like slough off the extraneous and try to understand exactly who we are. And what our purpose is in the world. Um, I want to leave you with a poem. And this is an excerpt of Walt Whitman's Song of Myself. And Walt Whitman is such a, a masterful poet, especially in the sense of being himself. And being um, exactly the flavors of how he came in and what he wants to step into. And I'm reading from the front of a weathered paperback copy of Song of Myself, which my dad gave me many, many, many years ago. And dad did his dissertation on Whitman and loved him so. So this is in honor of him. I tramp a perpetual journey. My signs are a rainproof coat and good shoes and a staff cut from the woods. 
No friend of mine takes his ease in my chair. I have no chair, no church, nor philosophy. I lead no man to a dinner table or library or exchange. But each man and each woman of you I lead upon a knoll. My left hand hooks you round the waist. My right hand points to landscapes of continents in a plain public road. Not I nor anyone else can travel that road for you. You must travel it for yourself. Shoulder your duds and I will mine, and let us hasten forth. Wonderful cities and free nations we shall fetch as we go. If you tire, give me both burdens and rest the cuff of your hand on my hip, and in due time you shall repay the same service to me, for after we start, we never lie by again. This Song of Myself, section 46. And then it says, For my daughter and fellow pilgrim Buffy, on her 17th birthday. I love you, Dad. Special thanks in this episode to Toby Crisp. I'm going to put his information in the show notes in case you want to experience his masterful work. Um, He is an evergreen Colorado. And um, also special thanks to both of my parents who created a really wonderful childhood for me and who also kind of let me fly from the coop and sent me out to discover my own new town. Thank you for listening to Things That Will Help podcast. Can you reach the microphone? Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Much love.